Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Russell Banks says of Luis Philippe D'Alembert, his work is the work of witness, infused with love and admiration for the millions of sufferers who endure the violent disruptions of our time with dignity, perseverance, and a love for one another that is equal to his own. And Edwidge Danticat writes that D'Alembert is one of the great imaginative writers of his generation. On this episode of The Literary Life, recorded prior to the assassination of Haiti's president, Luis Philippe talks about the Mediterranean Wall, his novel about migration, an exodus from war, famine, poverty, and the ravages of climate change. The Mediterranean Wall has been awarded the 2020 French Voices Grand Prize in Fiction. Please join me in welcoming Louis-Philippe D'Alembert. I want to congratulate you for this book. It Thank is you. quite remarkable. And I want to welcome you today to be on, um, on this podcast. I'd love you, if you could, tell us, you know, in your own words a little bit, just about what this novel, just what this novel is about. Yes, it's a, a very difficult question, but uh, I can say a story about three women, three women uh, coming from three uh, different countries. Um, one of them, uh, Dima, comes from Syria, from the city of Aleppo. Uh, she's a middle-class woman fleeing the war with her husband and two daughters. She's a Muslim. Uh, the other one, the second one, is uh, Semar. She's an Orthodox Christian from Eritrea, a country that that has been living under a dictatorship since independence in 1993. And she dreams of becoming a teacher, unfortunately. She has to do uh, military service, which officially uh, lasts one and a, half, and a half year, but in reality, it can last much longer. Um, you know, as they say in Eritrea, you know when you enter, but not when you leave. So she decides with two friends to desert. The third one is Shoshana. She's a Jew uh, coming from Nigeria, and she's flying climate change and poverty. In short, I can say uh, we have three characters from three uh, disparate religions, cultures, and nations. 
the three will meet first in Libya before boarding the same overcrowded boat, trying to reach Europe across the Mediterranean in search of a better life. Dima, for example, who has more money, travels on the deck of the boat. Sema and Shoshana travel in the hold. And when a mutiny occurs, the three find themselves on, on deck. Between the mutiny and the bad weather, the situation deteriorates because, uh, I mean, the idea for me was to say that we are all on the same boat. And if this boat sinks, everyone perishes. We, see, we can see that, for example, today with the COVID pandemic, for example, you know. So that was, I tried to say with that novel. Well, I think, I think you succeeded. The Mediterranean Wall just being translated and just out by Schaffner Press, it was such a moving and kind of startling account of immigrants who were trying to leave repressive regimes for one reason or another, making their way to Europe, as we have seen countless times over these last number of decades. Your book is based on a real, real event. I remember it when, uh, I think it was in, when was it, 2014 or so, or 2012? And there was a rescue that went on when a Danish freighter rescued a ship. It was in, was in 2014. 2014. Talk yes. a little bit about that and about what happened there. You know, uh, it was, I, first of all, I'm a journalist. I used to uh, work as a journalist and after as a teacher also in uh, university, maybe in, uh, I mean, in United States, in Germany, in Switzerland, once in a while. But uh, I learned from my journalism, journalism practice to do research, I mean, in the country. And, uh, and I went to Lampedusa. I don't know if you know Lampedusa. It's a small island uh, in Italy uh, who received, that received uh, from 1992 a lot of migrants uh, coming from Africa or coming from uh, Middle East, for example. And, uh, and I had to write a novel, I mean, and I tried to write a novel about migration because as a migrant myself, uh, because, uh, I, I'm, I was fascinated by all the, those uh, migration story. And uh, when I came there, I, I can meet a lot of people, a lot of migrants, uh, people, women overall, coming from Africa and coming from Middle East, but a lot, a large part of them coming from Africa. And I was uh, looking for information. I went, uh, I read a lot of uh, papers, a lot of um, uh, books also. Um, and once I was there, for me, it, it was very hard to talk with uh, these women, uh, to hear their stories. Uh, you know, some of them, for example, uh, spent uh, 
three, four, five years to come from Africa to Europe, for example. And, um, and I mean, when I was doing my research, I found just one, only short, only one short paper about that boat in 2014 uh, that was saved by a um, Danish um, tanker. And it was a very, it was a shock for me, you know? It was a very sh uh, a, a shock and I say, okay, I got the novel. The novel, uh, I have to write the novel uh, from that boat, you know, between the tension that was in that boat uh, between uh, African migrant and uh, Arabic migrants. And, uh, and I begin to, to, to write uh, that novel and here we are. Yeah, no, and the structure of it, the structure of it is is so compelling because you kind of weave the stories of the three women and we get to know them from the moment they decide to emigrate, right? Yes. So you understand the reasons why they did and you learn about three very distinct circumstances that are representative of so many people's stories, right? And they all, they merge when they come together in this tragedy. Because of that, you know, you kind of, I felt as a reader, as if I knew each one of them. So describe a little bit for us of, uh, of Semhar. Uh, what, what, what was her inspiration? What, what caused I that mean, kind of feistiness in her? Okay, thanks for the question. I understand. You know, um, I mean, people, for example, in Western country are saturated with uh, news, with information, with information, for example. No? They receive a lot of information, a lot of news all the time on their smartphones, on the internet, on television, in your newspapers, etc. And those information, those information are often sensationalized. They see, okay, or we see, because I'm living in Paris, uh, I live in Paris, we see masses of threatening individuals for whom we can hardly have empathy. And for me, novel is, uh, or fiction is the opposite. It tells the story of one, two, or three people in that case, uh, of three characters in whom we, the reader can recognize himself, or a brother, or a sister, or a friend, I don't know, characters he can identify with. This is what I try to do in, in that novel. Uh, by taking up the subject as a novelist, I mean, I want, wanted to show that behind the generic term migrants, they are above all human beings in all their complexity. I mean, with uh, qualities and defects. Uh, for example, um, a woman like Dima, she's always struggling against her fears. Um, she's quite racist, but she struggles against that. And I want 
just uh, to give uh, back to those characters or to those migrants their humanity behind the statistics and the fear they inspire, they inspire, I mean, in some people. You know, that was I tried to say to do. I'm glad you mentioned empathy because that is the one thing that comes through loud and clear in the Mediterranean Wall. You know, we as readers empathize with each one of the characters, with all of their faults, with all of their strengths. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it reminds me of a quote that I read somewhere from Madison Smart Bell, who says, who better to write from inside the Mediterranean crisis than a Haitian novelist living in France? So talk about how your own background made you empathetic, your own personal journey that you had um, and how that plays into the empathy here. You know, um, I've been, I don't know how to say that exactly. Um, at a very, very young age, I was confronted with stories of migration uh, in my family and my circle of friends, for example, I saw many people leave, especially to the United States or to, to Canada, for example. And later, when I was uh, 23, uh, I was the one who left for Europe. And I didn't live only in Europe. I, I live in France, of, of course. I live in Italy. Um, I, I've been living in Israel, for example, in Jerusalem. And I taught in Switzerland, in Germany, in the United States. Uh, and I traveled a lot. I, I, I was always traveling and I still traveling, but a little bit less uh, from the beginning of the pandemic. But I was always traveling. I traveled a lot to Africa and the entire American continent. And when I write, write a novel, for example, about migration, I naturally draw on my own experiences as a migrant. And uh, it's uh, that, I mean, allowed me to empathize with my characters because I grew up in a country uh, um, until um, my, how do I say that? Uh, until, yes, 23, uh, 23 years old. I grew up in Haiti. I was born and I grew up in Haiti. In Haiti, we have a lot of people, um, I mean, leaving the country, not only to the United States, but to Canada, to, um, for example, uh, Dominican Republic, uh, the French uh, islands. Uh, there is a lot of migrants in Haiti. But that means migration is part of my story. And I can even say that it's part of my identity as a human being. Because when, for example, I, as an Haitian, or not only as an Haitian, I can mean, I can say, like as a, a people was born in the American continent, uh, migration is part of my identity. When I'm, for example, I'm talking about a boat, uh, I'm talking about people traveling on the deck and people traveling on the hold of the boat. I'm talking, I, I'm talking also about the Middle Passage. That's what it reminded me of. I'm not oh. only talking, uh, I, I mean, about the, just the a recent story. Right. But it's not necessary for me to do an essay talking uh, about the Middle Passage because a lot of people did it before me. So when I, I'm talking, 
um, when I was talking about empathy, uh, I'm talking also about bad things because for me it's very important. It's very important because I feel it in my in my person. I mean, well, certainly, you know, living in Miami as I do, and and living through, you know, the last sixty years here. You know, uh, Haitian quote boat people hmm. are certainly something that, you know, comes into our consciousness as just people living here, and the idea of um, of of individualizing them uh, and not making them, you know, as this kind of blanket non-entity uh, or non, you know, get, having, you know, people who who come here. And, and not seeing them indiv as individuals. You give each of the people that you write about a face, a personality, a sensibility, and we as readers can empathize with that, as you know, which is what great literature can do. And um, yeah, certainly, you know, being from Haiti, which is an island, you know, where there is so much, as you say, migration built into the culture because of the because of the, the fascism that had been there for so long. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I thought of. Yes, you know, I, would, I would say English. one thing, you know, when you are writing, I think I'm not the only one, when you are writing, you are not writing alone, <laughs> I, I could say. You are writing with uh, your identity, you are writing with your uh, history. And, uh, and for me and for everyone, I think history is also identity. And uh, when I'm talking about both, I'm talking about Middle Passage, but not only Middle Passage, I'm talking about my generation because I'm, yes. I'm from a generation, you know, in the 80s, for example, in the 70s, there is, they, they didn't use to, uh, uh, we didn't use the word migrant. We, we used both people. Right. And the 17 and the 70s or 80s, the, we used to talk about both people, Haitian birth people, Cuban birth people going to United States, for example, and uh, of in Europe uh, there used to be um, Vietnam, uh, uh, both people coming from Vietnam or Cambodia or uh, Laos. Uh, so I'm writing also with that part of my uh identity you know because th those stories became history and they are part part of myself I, I can't write also i mean a novel about migration without i mean without uh, those those stories without uh, the both people's story or without the, 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 the uh, I mean, the middle passage story. It informs, Impossible. completely informs your sensibility. You know, yes. the whole history that yes. you have. Um, let, let me ask you a question about, I mean, 180 some odd people died in the, in the actual uh, tragedy something like 500 some odd people were saved. Um, and then you write about what happens on the freighter just so, so wonderfully, which is where everything kind of, you know, reaches a climax. And I won't, I don't want to give a, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone 
to tell them what it is other than it's extremely compelling. But so this happened, you know, a number of years ago and we hear stories now of, you know, what's happening in Europe and what's happening, um, you know, what's happening in Europe right now with that same kind of migration. Um, how, what is your take right now? What's happening in France and England, you know, uh, putting that hat on, the hat of a journalist, that of, the hat of someone who is so aware of, um, of, of when immigrants come into what seems to be, you know, we had our own situation in the United States, which was and continues to be, you know, completely, you know, disturbing, uh, you know, with our last president. But so what's happening there in Europe right now? Uh, you know, uh, the flow of migration has slowed. Uh, in fact, uh, partly because of the pandemic. That doesn't mean things are better. Right. Uh, besides, you know, the principle of journalism anyway, uh, we talk more about what's close by. Europe, Africa, and the Middle East are far from the United States. I mean, it's normal. And uh, it's in the United States, for example, I think it's easier to talk about refugees coming from Central America or coming from the Caribbean. But here in Europe, we, we are still talking a little bit less about, uh, about migration because people, uh, they, they stay, some of them, not in their countries, but uh, in countries like Libya, for example, or, 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 or Algeria or Morocco. We, we, we didn't uh, give a solution to that problem. Yeah, nothing, problem nothing, nothing has been solved, right? Nothing has been solved. That's the, uh, the word, you know? Right. Nothing has been solved, you know? For example, okay, um, to write that novel, I stayed on the island of Lampedusa in Italy between uh, January and February uh, 2018. But, uh, you know, people in Lampedusa um, faced that problem and they are still facing that problem. You know, on people in Libya, for example, uh, they are still facing that problem but we didn't talk about that you know uh the principle of journalism or the principle of of, of uh, news you every day you have or uh, i can say i could say every hour you have and not uh, um in information or news more important than the others right. but now we are just talking everyone is talking about the pandemic right. but uh but the problem still exists are there people being are there people being turned back? Is there yes. so the wall? There is still the Mediterranean Wall, right? Mm. No, there are still people coming in Europe. I mean, there's not uh, a lot of people like uh, two years ago or three years ago. But once in a while, uh, overall in Italy, you know, there are what we can say um, roads. Uh, we have so many roads from um, sub-Saharan Africa, for example. If you come from uh, Nigeria, you 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 travel from Niger and from Niger the, 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 the desert to come to Libya. And if you come from uh, Eritrea, you are going to to travel through Sudan. And there is a lot of roads. Once we are in Libya, in Libya, for example, from uh, 
the death of Gaddafi, uh, you know, the, the country explodes completely. There is, there is no state. There is a lot of uh, gangs, more or less, and uh, in between those gangs, uh, they control all the migrant traffic. And uh, it's even if a country like uh, Germany, Germany maybe three, no, four or five years ago received a lot of people, the one million and two thousand hundred people. I mean, they receive, but uh, the other countries, uh, the other European countries, didn't do the same. First of all, but even if, even if. It would it wouldn't be enough, but the problem is not the the, the migrant flow. The problem is how to deal with north, western, and southern countries. Right. How to change the rules? How to um, I, I mean to process to 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 have a kind of equality right. in when we are doing exchanges. Because we we have to find a way to to fix people in their country, and right, to fix right. people in their country, we are not going to fix people just okay. I open the door and I I just let in one million or two millions, but the problem will be the same after five years or after three years. So, so the so yeah, I was going to say the solution then, or at least to start the solution would be to look into the countries and finding the reasons why people are leaving. We need a, a redistribution. Of, redistribution, that's the one. We know? need a redistribution of, I mean, the way societies collapse is when, is when, the, when there is such a disparity between those who have and those who don't have. And we don't have, that's the point. And, and we have that worldwide now. And there will always be people on the move with that disparity being what it is, right? That's the point. If you, if we still have that kind of societies in the world, for example, you know, two percent of the of the population have eighty uh, percent of the richness of the planet. It's it 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 won't work anyway. It won't work. You can give billion of million of uh, dollars, but it won't work. People have a you're supposed to have, for example. This is how to redistribute the richness of the planet, the first of all, but also that don't support, for example, dictatorship in some countries. Right. And uh, it's also important uh, if it, I mean, the Western countries, uh, the, the, the very important countries like United States or like Europe or that, like other countries, they still support uh, those dictatorship or they still exploit the richness of those countries we still, we will still have those migrants. But we have, unfortunately, in some countries, including our country over the last number of years, uh, a hostility to people who are on the move. Mm -hmm. And then you're making the situation only worse in that sense. And yeah. I imagine that that's happening in, in some Western European countries as well, right? Where, where it become, you know, migrants become political footballs and you know, people use it in order to get political um, advantage and um, they, it becomes even more profound, you know, how, how difficult it is 
for the yes it's it's uh, very difficult uh, in uh, i mean it's more difficult in some countries than other for example in the uh, uh, former uh, eastern countries like um, poland uh, hungary and uh, things are very rude are very tough against uh, migrants in western europe uh, it's a little bit less but but even if it's less I mean, there are kind of hypocrisies in the, um, the way they treat those people. Uh, if you don't give, you don't, how do we say that even in French? I'm, uh, if you don't give papers, you know, to those person, uh, it's easy to exploit them. Right. You know, they, they don't exist. Yeah, no, people, they don't exist because they're supposed to live uh, not officially. They can't live officially. They don't exist. So anyone yeah, can explode them. If they're undocumented or they don't have any cards or anything like that. That's most, the way. Most definitely. If they don't have visas or they're not permitted in the country. But um, so, but I think, you know, when we talk about all of this and it seems so terribly hopeless sometimes and so complicating. I think one of the things that your book proves is that if we can become empathetic, literature can serve the purpose of trying to bring people together or having someone at least understand what somebody else is going through. And if they at least understand it and they feel that character's pain and suffering, they might be moved to try to do something about it as well. As a novelist, I can do it for single person, but I can't, unfortunately, uh, doing it for a lot of people or for the government. And uh, I would like, I would like, but I can't. And it's 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 a, it's a pity. I'm, I'm so sad about that, but uh, that the way it is. But as a human being, I'm just trying to do my best to do my, my part and uh, to create, even if, for example, um, I can change um, the mind of two or three people, I say, okay, it's a victory for me, uh, just to accept the way that the people, for example, if, there are so there are few people leaving the country just for pleasure, just just to travel. I mean, the extra majority of people when they are traveling, they are, they are escape. They are escaping from something. They are escaping from poverty. They are escaping from dictatorship. They are escaping from war. But they are not doing it. They are to do. I don't know. They don't want to do a cruise, for example. <laughs> they are escaping from something. Right. And uh, if we can understand that, uh, I think it would be a great, a great, great step for, for humankind, humankind. I mean, it, it would be. Tell me, tell me who you think are some of the other writers that you admire, some other books that you can say cover, not the same territory, but who are you know, who are inspirational for you um, in terms of, you know, the shared, the shared sense of trying to get people to understand 
what other cultures, other people are having to go through? Uh, I could say a lot. I could say a lot. But I mean, first of all, first of all, uh, I mean, my very um, professors were the, the Russians, uh, like Tolstoy, um, Dostoevsky. Um, they, are, they were because I was an adolescent when I discovered those, those novels. And uh, they are my very, very professors. I mean, the first professors. And after that, I, I, I they are, for now, I, I could say, I mean, Latin American writers, the, the, who they, they call the boom, the boom uh, of, uh, I mean, Latin American literature. People because like Alejo Carpentier. Yes, uh, because I have a PhD in uh, literature comparative, uh, comparative literature, and, and, I, and I had my PhD on Alejo Carpentier, but not Alejo Carpentier. I would say um, Garcia Marquez sure. or um, someone like um, Vargas Llosa or Miguel Asturias. But there are some others like uh, Tony Morrison. I learned a lot uh, um, from Tony Morrison. Uh, two other, I mean, in English, I have three, but very three person I admire. I admire the works that like Tony Morrison, Philip Roth, and Isaac Bashevi Singer. And wow. it, it, for me, it's the, I mean, the, the, those three, they are just on the top for me. I, I, you know, Isaac Singer lived in Miami for a good period of time. He lived on Miami Beach and he came into the bookstore a fair amount of time. And one of the great experiences in my life was really getting to know him before okay. he died. And um, he was, he is, he, he was, I mean, his writing and, and he, I agree with you completely. Uh, and Toni Morrison as well. I mean, you know, what she did, you know, what she did for writing and, and giving voice and, 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 and showing people a way to write and giving yes. voice to people and giving them the okay to be able to write about themselves without necessarily the white gaze, you know, I mean, is really something too. When you were a little kid growing up, there was an outdoor cinema near yes. where you lived. Yes, uh, because we... We lived, we used to live uh, near from uh, a driving, you know, a, a driving uh, in the 70s, for example, there the, the, the were four driving importance and we live nearby one of them. And I didn't, it was completely impossible to, to, to hear because we used to see the screen and, uh, and, and the movies. And uh, for me, it was very, very uh, useful, you know, uh, just to, to, to follow a story, but like a mute <laughs> cinema, I mean, like a mute movie. And, it, and I... And you had to narrate the words. So it, you had to sort of create a narrative for it. That's the way. <laughs> that's, 
So that was early training to be a, a novelist as well, I think. I think, I think it, it, it helped me a lot, I think. It's not, it's really, uh, okay, uh, I had to read, I read also a lot, I read, there's no problem. But I think that experience for me was very, very useful. Do you have much experience here in Miami? Yes, now? I do have, because like uh, Haitian, like, I mean, almost uh, Haitian people, I do have family in Miami. I uh, do have family in New York, uh, in the United States, so it, uh, I have no choice. <laughs> I'm supposed to have experience with Miami. Um, I'm always, I mean, or maybe every two years I, I, I pass, I, I come through Miami because even to see my family or, or, or to go to preference, because when I'm traveling to preference, okay, I just, I stay to Miami, and um, but I don't have experience experience with the Miami Book Fair. We would love to have you come, um, you know, whenever whenever you'd like to. By the way, my latest my latest book of poems, Cantique du Balbutiement, was published in September of last year, and just yesterday it has uh, been awarded from award the François Copé Prize uh, by the French Academy. Oh, congratulations! That's uh, thank you, and I have like, and I've kept. I mean, I've learned from poetry and extreme, extreme attention to language. Would you? Uh, do, I'm going to surprise you with a question. Would Would you do me a favor? Would you? Do you have the collection of poetry there somewhere? Do you have it? I no. Okay, on my computer. I don't know if I can have. Uh, hold on, if I can find some. Could you read? Could you read a poem in French? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just trying. If I find one, uh, hold hold on a second. I'm trying to to find one. Um, one of them, uh, also, I think, one of my poems was in the what this week was is in what I don't know what to say that even in. in uh, in English, I mean, this is the what they call in France uh, brevet. is an exam for the third um, grade in in secondary school, mm -hmm. and and that poem was on the program. Oh, really? Wow! And uh, and the title is Voyage. Quand j'étais jeune, je rêvais de vivre à Paris, New York, Rome. Jérusalem, Dakar ou Santiago. Maintenant que j'ai vécu à Paris, à Roma, à Jérusalem, que je connais New York, Dakar et Santiago, je rêve des lumières absentes de la ville natale. Quand j'étais jeune, je rêvais de vivre ailleurs, partout. Quelque part dans le monde, j'enfourchais alors une branche d'arbre où l'une des nombreuses étoiles de la, mer, de la nuit caraïbe, vaste et profonde, comme seule en évente l'enfance, et je m'envolais, loup-garou insouciant et végétarien, loin de mon quartier, loin de ma ville, avant que les notes fausses d'un coq, trahi par ses cauchemars, ne viennent m'arracher au tiède clin d'œil des premiers rayons du soleil. Quand j'étais jeune, je rêvais de vivre la vie. Je, partais, je partirais vers un monde sans fin où les lumières auraient emprunté leur éclat à nos rêves d'enfants, aux reflets argentés 
de la mer au soleil, à l'eau de la ravine qui accueillait le, nos ébats clandestins le lendemain des jours de pluie, aux avions dont l'envol matinal se confondait avec la saison des cyclones. Maintenant que j'ai voyagé, que je connais le monde et la beauté de ces femmes, les yeux rieurs de ces enfants, l'arrogante impuissance de ces hommes, maintenant que j'ai vécu partout, je rêve de vivre chez moi. Maintenant que j'ai voyagé, que je voyage, j'ai envie par moments de m'arrêter comme lorsqu'enfants nos semelles vagabondes nous ramenaient à la maison dans l'espoir de troquer la sueur, la poussière et la faim entre une bonne douche, des vêtements moins crasseux et un hypothétique repas. J'ai envie de tout arrêter et de rentrer au pays de l'enfance, mais j'ai perdu le chemin du retour. Quelques rapaces ambliopes et gourmands aura gobé les cailloux que j'avais oublié de semer. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. Thank you, Luis Philippe. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much for being on, on The Literary Life.